Good day, and welcome to The Pandemic Show. Stories of the pandemic for the people of the pandemic. Dave zooms to Toronto to talk with Eric Elper about the many faces of the pandemic and music. Yeah, that Eric Elper. There is no perfect substitute for a live show like in before times. Eric and Dave discuss the meaningful substitutes that musicians have industriously employed to connect with us. They fantasize about attending indoor shows as they discuss the obstacles that the pandemic has put in front of the music industry. Eric highlights how the pandemic's intergenerational effect is being felt differently. One of the great things about the music industry is how it brings us together in a shared space. And that sense of togetherness, it's been just, it's been put on hold due to the pandemic. Can you tell us what your life was like in the before times when we could <laughs> gather? Before time, pandemic, pandemic BT. It was, it was just as good, you know, except for all, obviously the death and destruction and loneliness and mental health issues and, and job losses. It really hasn't changed that much. You know, I was working X amount of artists and I had 900 tour dates to work in 2020. Around March, I heard grumblings that there was going to be a little bit of a mild shutdown of the music industry in certain places. There was this virus that was taking hold overseas and it was going to be coming into North America. So, you know, people were just kind of touch and go. Around this time, probably late March or April, that's when it started to get serious. And then when we got shut down here in Toronto as a city, forget about the music industry, and then in Ontario as a province, and then as a country in Canada, had a good scream for about five seconds, went back inside, and then I emailed all of the artists and said, I'm still going to be working. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I do know that I'm going to be here working away. And for a long time, it seemed that the artists that I was working with were continuing to to put out music and I was just working it because I'm on a lot of other publicists email lists because of the radio show that I have. And just because of the social media audience. And I didn't see that many publicists that were working. And I don't know whether or not if they had artists on the roster that kind of shut down, but I didn't, I had artists that weren't really concerned so much about the touring aspect because they all had singles and videos and EPs that they had already planned to put out months ago. So they were just going to put it out with no, I'm not going to say with no idea, but nobody knew what to expect of it. And it, and it quickly became just one of the most, if not the most devastating thing that's ever happened to the, I mean, forget about music, but entertainment, media and industries in general and we're still at it it seems like the music is and the arts is really getting people through it at home and the music industry has switched to an online presence to continue moving forward and the the streaming aspect of the music industry hasn't really changed but the live show the touring all of that it's just been been shut off we all know that music is a medicine and it's a healing tool. You know, it, it, it makes us forget when we want to, and it helps us remember, you know, the best moments with music in somebody's life is usually when there's other people around, you can't have a live music industry. You can't have shows, you know, with just nobody. I mean, that was the case before the pandemic that turned out to be, you know, completely untrue. You can't actually do a show from your very own bedroom now um, and have one person watching it and completely change their lives. The points were always there that the that the music industry was getting away from the physical side of, of music, meaning like, you know, they were 
trying to move away from CDs and vinyl records because it's expensive. It's not the most feasible when you cut out that side of the distribution and you just have music streaming services. But, you know, as we saw in 2020, music was consumed more than any other entertainment value or entertainment product in North America, well above books and TV and movies and Netflix and the like. And that's not to slight any of those industries. It, it was just that more people were listening to more music than any other time in music history. And a lot of it was hitting the right social note, but hitting the also the right psychological note that most people who haven't been on a social media site or music streaming site decided in 2020 that they weren't going to be either afraid or concerned about, you know, signing up for a music streaming service, whether it was Spotify or Sirius XM. I mean, the ability to spend $10 a month and have access to 65 million songs is probably one of, depending on what side of the fence you're on, the best thing that ever happened to the industry or the worst if you're an artist and you're not making money. But chances are those artists weren't going to make any money anyway, you know, but certainly when you cut off part of that ecosystem of the live show, all those artists that used to make at least poverty level, at least put a couple of bucks in their pocket playing one or two times a week on the weekend, just for giggles and just for fun, that got taken away from them. So, you know, the big artists were still managing to stream and sell online. It was like the other 98% that seemingly needed that live aspect in order to survive. And that we have still a year later, no idea when it's coming back. That's something that's come up in several of our fireside chats on the pandemic show. What will it look like in after times? What will the transition to the new normal look like? And will there be a time when we can get together in a concert venue and all be crammed in there like sardines? Now I've seen some images from Wuhan, China, where the young people are back out in clubs, but everyone's wearing masks. Yeah, you, you know, there, there'd been a number of studies. There's one in, in Germany that took three different rooms on the same day with three sets of people. What, one of the groups were wearing masks. The other one was, you know, six feet away from one another. And the other one um, was in close quarters. And, you know, with proper ventilation, it turned out that if people remain six feet away from one another and wear masks and there's proper ventilation with air circulation in the room, you have a lower chance of, of catching the, the coronavirus. That's not something that could be done in every venue. It's really, really super expensive, not only to get proper ventilation in case if you don't have it, but these venues that used to be able to hold 300 people, 400 people, 500 people may now only be able to have 40 people capacity. You can't make a living at that. There's just no way. If you have 100 people capacity, maybe you can get away with 20 or 30 and get by if you kind of, you know, supplement that income with food. But if you don't, you know, there's no way that the band and your staff and the taxes and the government and the land and everything else can just maintain that that proper ecosystem in order to have a venue there. Here in Toronto, we've seen almost 55 venues shut down permanently. Now, look, I'm an internal optimist. I will always believe that things will always get better. But I'm also a realist. And I'm thinking that, well, maybe this city of Toronto 
doesn't guarantee that we would always have 300 music venues. Maybe only the strong do survive. And it it's horrible for me to think that and to say that out loud. But nobody asked for the virus to happen. And this is just what we're going to have to do. Artists are pretty crafty. They're pivoting into the online world. They're doing a lot more live shows, a lot more taped live shows. They're doing a lot more chipping jars. They're on Twitch. They're on you know YouTube. They're on all these different platforms from Clubhouse. MySpace is still going with 22 million visits as, as, <laughs> as you know, bizarre as that seems. There's certainly plenty of places where people can go to find an audience. It just might not be in person. But, you know, a lot of the older artists that I've worked with have already canceled their shows so far twice and sometimes three times, moving all of their dates to 2022 and privately into 2023 without announcing it as of yet. I wonder if we're going to see a trend in more outside shows where it's easier to physical distance and we don't have the problems with airflow and that. It was interesting you mentioned the German study where it shows that it can be done safely inside, but there's so many barriers that it might not be practical for everyone. I mean, we can't even get air ventilation into our public schools. So how are we going to get it into some of these great dive bar uh, institutions where you go to see the, the next generation of musicians. Yeah. The, the, I, I love the idea of more outdoor live shows. I mean, you know, I think once we're able to get outside again, fully and completely, you know, try to stop people from staying inside. I mean, it, it, I mean, Canadians are, are, you know, lovers of the sun to begin with. I mean, we spend, as you know, like six months of the year in minus temperatures. So the minute that like it starts to get warm outside, we're like just, you know, hoarding the high, the the uh, sidewalk just to get out there. What's going to be interesting is how many artists can you fit in one bill, and how many, how much money is going to be the maximum that people are going to want to spend for live music specifically. The problem that the live music industry is going to have to face is that right now they are now almost 13 months and counting and backlog shows. That means that even in a major city like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Halifax, Ottawa, that, you know, in Canada tended to have sometimes two, three, four major shows from May until August. We're not going to invent more days of the week. So all of these shows are going to have to figure out how to still maintain that touring schedule of continuing to pray to sell out every single night on a hundred day tour. But meanwhile, you have now five times the competition during the week. There's a maximum amount of money that anybody will want to spend to go see live music. I don't know what that is, but that's the same for books and music and taxes. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a boiling point before people say, you know what? I, it, I'm done. And coupled with the fact that there's a large percentage of our population that hasn't worked properly in a long time, these venues in Toronto or Ottawa or, or Kitchener or Guelph or Waterloo that had live music, you know, two nights a week, do they go to five nights a week just to get the backlog all ready to go and to try to get as many people out there? I mean, that's going to be really interesting too, because, you know, and the other thing is the outdoor part of it you got to be really smart about it, right? The street festival works really, really well for all ages, but the Coachellas of the world and the large 
country music festivals or rock festivals in Toronto and in, and in the outlining area. I'm not convinced that people over the age of 40 want to go stand in the mud for like a day, you know, battling traffic with 80,000 cars, you know, I mean, maybe that's just me, but there's going to be a certain segment of the population who only want to go see indoor shows at the local arena at the local community center it's comfortable for them they don't want to stand outside for nine hours waiting for the headlining act some do obviously not everybody does though so they're gonna have to start contending and thinking with that too it's just amazing that the live music industry that took 60 years to get to this point was just decimated and forcing everybody to start all over again in less than a year but that's what happens Early on in the pandemic, I was looking for content online. I spent a lot of time in Stratford following Dana Manning's show, some time She's in lovely. Toronto. She's wonderful. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Dana Manning. Yeah, love her. She's had some interesting perspectives, too, about the importance of investigating a basic income to yeah. support people with job losses. But you see, and somebody like her and M. Griner were doing stuff to help sustain the artist ecosystem that they wanted to see in their lives long before the pandemic. They were releasing albums on their own. They were never forgetting about their website. Simple little things like continuing to build an email list, things that people forgot about in most cases where it was uncool to still have a website, but meanwhile, get all up to date on Instagram. These artists like her, never forgot that you needed to own your your music you needed to own your channels of distribution those artists i'm not surprised that are doing better than most when it comes to the pandemic because no matter what you threw at them whether they were in stratford or in the arctic they still had that fan base that wanted to follow them and support them and love them they had a strong foundation going into the pandemic that, and a strong fan base. There's a new artist I've recently started following. I found this artist online, Madison Galloway. She's from yeah. Fergus, Ontario. She's a hardcore rocker. Yeah. <laughs> she. I saw an advertisement in my social media feed for a throwback psychedelic Sunday nod to Q107. Right. Rocking so hard. Yeah. Now yeah, I'm yeah. a huge fan. I can't wait to see her live in yeah. the after times. Yeah. And everybody's heard of her. I know I that's that's the beautiful thing, too. You know, I know slight to like print magazines, but I tell artists this every single day. The ability for you to spend a dollar reaching 100 like minded people and like minded fans on Facebook or Instagram is astounding. You don't have to spend or hope that you have fifteen thousand dollars to place a half page ad in the daily newspaper. Again, no slight to them. This is why those newspapers are in this position in the first place of like trying to figure out what's going to happen after the pandemic as well where you know people aren't outside buying newspapers off of the newsstand if they can't find them they get their news for free but the ability for artists to reach like-minded fans or whether it's in your own city or province or country or around the world is is to their benefit you know if you're a country artist and, you know, you love Wilco. Well, go find other Wilco fans that, that you think would love your music in your own hometown and spend a couple of bucks doing it. You don't have to go broke doing that, doing that kind of promotion. Yeah. To watch Madison Galloway, she's playing solo, so she can't play with her band right now. 
She had just released a new album before the pandemic in 2019, Mercury and Moon. In February, she's been doing Black History Month, supporting Black History Month. So she's doing lots of songs from Black artists, some of her original material. And after it's been online for a day or two, there's thousands and thousands of views. It's, yeah. it's interesting how technology is helping this younger generation that's technologically savvy. Yeah, I would hope that that's what would happen. It would scare me if that younger generation decided to not be online during the pandemic because there's nothing else really to take its place. But we've certainly seen with Zoom classrooms and Zoom, you know, hangups and meetups, at least online, even, you know, even a social media site like Clubhouse, which is more audio based, is kind of exploding faster than I think anybody, you know, would have predicted a year ago. Um, but those artists that are new, always had social media in their lives. They yeah. always had the promotion. So they were kind of comfortable with it, at least for the most part. It's the older artists, the ones that are 55, 60, 65, 70 years of age that had hits in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. They're the ones that are, are, are I think, really struggling a lot more because you know they, were, they barely understood Facebook. They have no interest in going on Twitter. They don't understand Instagram without, you know, with just photos and they have no idea about what TikTok is or even how to comprehend the use of somebody else's songs, dancing to somebody else's moves while lip syncing. So to them, the social media isn't the way to go unless you have a really smart, sharp team around you that can do that stuff for you. But these artists rely on touring venues and casinos and and community centers across Canada not only to sell their new album but to meet the fans and talk to them and and sell their old catalog and now they just can't do it those artists are going to be real interesting to watch you know even in America where artists like Kansas and Sticks and Journey and and Bruce Springsteen's band i mean like they're all 75 and up you know not only are they not playing and getting that exercises and getting those emotions and, and psychologically getting ready for shows every, every night, but to get health insurance for them is going to be astronomical. I mean, it was bad enough that, you know, they probably have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to get insurance, eating in strange places, living on the road, going in hot and cold temperatures, the idea of trying to plan a tour when you're older, where one city might be fine and the next city on your tour might now be in the red zone and the next city might still be in, in shutdown and isolation. It's impossible to plan that stuff a year in advance when nobody knows what's going on. It's impossible to plan that stuff a month in advance. So, you know, I think we might have seen, you know, this week, look, the who, just completely canceled outright their their rescheduled shows from 2020 to 2021. They completely took them off of the schedule. They're both hitting 80. You know, that might have been the last opportunity to see them. One of my all-time favorite bands, Genesis, just moved up their dates to 2022. I'm crossing my fingers and hope that they can still make those dates. You know, but that's that's where we're that's the situation we're in right now. When when you talk about the logistics of scheduling a cross-Canada tour, a multi-country tour in this current environment, it makes me think of our last interview with Ryan Chenwing. He lives in, currently in Terrace, BC. 
His partner lives in Oxford, UK with their son, Joey. They've tried to get married twice so far during the pandemic so they can live together in the same country. Well, they want to, they want to be together as a family, but the pandemic has, has prevented them. So, so far they're 0-2 on getting married. They're going to try the third time this spring or summer. And that's just two people getting together with a justice yeah. of the peace and yeah. two witnesses, five people in total. And they haven't been able to do that in the last year, even though they've tried twice at tremendous expense. So if yeah. two people can't even get married. The logistics behind a tour, like you were saying, like, wow. Oh, of hundreds, so much. of hundreds of people, hundreds of people coming from all over the world where they live to get together and travel as like a small town. That's really what it is. I mean, if you're if you're yeah. Metallica or The Weeknd or Ariana Grande, you're bringing enough people bigger than most small towns in Canada um, in and out, in and out, in and out. And that's that's with. <laughs> that's with no vaccine available to these people yet. I mean, in Canada, as of today, they're talking about making sure that people over the age of 80 get it by the end of March, March. And that's okay. Like, I get it. It's a lot of work to do. And I'm not complaining about that. But what makes me think that the 50 year old bands are going to be getting it any sooner than June or July. And then you don't look, I think everybody should get the, the vaccine, but nobody knows really what, what is going to happen to these people once they get it, you know, with certain reactions and things like that, everybody's going to be different. There's going to be artists that are just not going to, they're going to find other ways to do it. You might see a lot more autobiographies being written and, and in your local bookstore. You might see a lot of documentaries about musicians on Netflix. You might see a lot more box sets, at least on the digital side, of re-recording re more demo tapes, more live shows that are being released, just to get the revenue stream to where it needs to be for them to pay for not only their family, but potentially, you know, a number of, of, of alimony. Oh, we're very fortunate to have you and your deep perspective and understanding of the music community here with us today, because as a fan and somebody who likes to try to get on stage at the open mic, I only kind of see the part of the iceberg above the water. And you're giving us some real insights into the majority of the iceberg under the water. Right. We talked to Hal, Hal from Montreal. He's in Mountain Dust. Great band. He's told us that it was easier to be in the band when the weather was nice and they could get together. But during the lockdowns, he's just not into the doing everything on the computer. He really likes to be in jamming with the band where they can just kind of go on a tangent, go in any direction. Are we going to see more like solo acts? Because that's what I'm seeing online. I'm yeah. generally seeing one person. Now, the Hillside just did the Hillside Inside, which was interesting. The Hillside Festival in Guelph, such a progressive music festival. Yeah. They had, I think it was last weekend or the weekend before, they had 20, 30 acts. And some of the musicians were in the same location wearing masks, all yeah. physically distanced. So we're seeing an evolution, but the pandemic really seems to be favoring the solo performer rather than the band ensemble. And that it's that upset. That's upsetting because there's just, when you get a, a large group of people all playing music in the same direction, there is nothing more powerful than that to be listening yeah. to, to be dancing to, to be a part of. And yeah. that, I'm, I'm really missing that. 
Yeah, you know, for for all the gloriousness that technology has has brought upon us and wrought upon us at the same time, um, <laughs> the the amount of you know it's interesting because you know when when you're a group, the technology is so good when you're recording in a studio that you don't have to be all in the same places. There there's a lot of records and and classic albums that have been recorded that people just don't realize were never recorded with the people all in the same room. They were literally transferring, transferring files by email or, or in the cloud. But yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I, there, there might be, you know, 50 years from now looking back and saying, wow, 150 years ago, we had a lot of orchestras. We had a lot of jazz and classical orchestras with 40 or 50 people. And then people realized that, the, the group was the cool thing. And then technology in the 80s and sampling gave artists the ability to have the sound of that orchestra all in a hit of a button in your own room to now where there's a number of artists that I'm working with that are in groups that had rapid testing done in order to perform at least virtually live and taped at a festival, but not many artists actually have that ability it's pretty expensive to do that the social separation is something that a lot of people take seriously and you don't as an artist you don't want to leave yourself open to criticism in case if you're all jamming together you know even when bruce springsteen and the east street band was on snl a couple of weeks ago or whenever they have artists on there there's always criticism of like how are they able to get together like this from different parts of america when we can't even go outside to the grocery store for more than five minutes and you know they have special they have special things in place. They happen to be, you know, millionaires that can pay for things that you and I can't. But it will be interesting. It's funny, along with like the solo, the rise of the solo artist, I, I can't, in, in the last year, I've gone from having a lot of songs to work that was about the Me Too movement, specifically from, from female artists on how they were, being perceived and how they were perceiving themselves and their fellow human beings to within three months, having a lot of songs supporting the black lives matter movement and angry songs, rightfully so, and political heavy leaning songs to now songs about being alone and isolation and, uh, you know, quiet songs. And I would think that that would be the norm, but it's actually not. If you went through the Billboard Hot 100 in the last year, not only are songs becoming shorter, but they're becoming faster. It's actually rising about 10 beats per minute since the last couple of years. And I would think that, well, why would anybody want to release a fast song right now? There's no dance floor. You can't dance in your living room. But there's something psychological about listening to a sad song when you're alone and you're lonely and it makes you feel better. But then there's also the, uh, the complete opposite, which is if people are listening to upbeat, happy, you know, happy key music, um, then it makes you feel better. So it seems like you're either in a large group or you're not, or you're writing a, a down tempo sad song, or you're writing shiny, happy people by REM over and over again. And the music makes us strong and the music's yeah. helping us keep our sanity. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it, it, I, I, I don't think, except for I think this interviewer where I do talking through Zoom, there's there's no time when there's silence in my office. I, I, I wouldn't be able to handle it. You know, it, it's the one, 
you know, I need to have voices that aren't just in my head. I need to have, you know, those sounds around me to get us through those days. It's why sea shanties were so popular for a moment was because they were just work songs. They were songs that were from hundreds of years ago uh, from, from men on the sea on boats with the captain of the ship and a call and response to, to the other people on the ship. And that's all, that's what we're feeling right now. We're on a zoom meeting with one person calling. We're the chorus. We're the, the, the minions We're you know, the group of people, but we're all working during the day, trying to work as a team, but in complete isolation. And I think that's why sea shanties and other work songs are becoming really popular now. I know that the pandemic, just for my own mental health, I've been writing a lot of poetry and I fantasize about turning these poems into dance hall anthems or bangers. Go for it. Go for it. If we get have, anywhere, we'll send them to you. Eric. Have, have fun with it. Look, if you don't like it, nobody will ever know. You know, that's the beautiful thing about music is anybody can just do it. And if you don't like it, you can just delete it and nobody will ever know. But if you like it, go for it. You know, Sarah Silverman has a really great line. The comedian, but she says, whenever somebody tells her, I think I'm going to do, she interrupts them and says, you're never going to do it. You know, I'm thinking about writing, but you're never going to do it. Just go ahead and do it. What's the worst that can happen is that nobody will listen to it. That's okay. The amazing thing about this life and this world living in social media is that nobody cares. You know, as much as for 24 hours, the entire world was all about Kim and Kanye getting divorced. Now, nobody cares. <laughs> you know, if nothing sticks, nothing, you know, just go and do it. I love that. I love that idea. I wish I could do that. Before the winter hit, some friends and I, we would get together and jam physically distanced. Then with the arrival of the colder temperatures and the and the winter, we've been trying to do things over the computer, but there doesn't seem to be the right technology there yet for people to collaborate with music, because if we all play together, we can't hear each other. Yeah. And it, you can't record everyone synchronistically the same way. Yeah. But I Lisa, Lisa Humber from come from away. She made such interesting points. She said that she had read that in Ottawa, there was some musician yeah, with some new software. I was just going to mention that. Yeah. Have you tried that or talked to anyone who's used it? Last week, I found that article that you were referring to in the Ottawa Citizen about that company that created in real time the ability for people to jam in separate places. There seems to be some walls that are put up from the independent artist perspective. You had to have a really high-end ISDN line. You had to really have your technology a little bit better than say you or I just talking right now on Zoom, which kind of, you know, blocks a lot of the independent artists from doing that. But it's a step in the right direction, though. Um, Hallelujah. Su you know, surprisingly, the technology part of things got really good very fast. I remember in the beginning when people were just you know, taping their concerts in their basement of their house on their iPhone with no microphone, then all of a sudden microphones seemingly came out of nowhere at a cheaper price on, on various, you know, platforms. And they got better and better and cheaper and cheaper. And that's what happens when there's a big demand like this that lasts a long time. Things don't necessarily get more expensive and worse off. They tend to be allowing that competition to get it. So good on this company for, 
for getting there. Now I think it's time for them to figure out what the next step of it is and completely change the game or somebody else is going to come along and say that works if you're the bare naked ladies. But here's one for independent artists. Yeah, with these technological innovations, how do we make them so they can be on Main Street for everyone? Yeah, and and, and, and we've, we've seen that forever. We, you know, when the Walkman came out, it was only for wealthy people, you know, yeah. $300. When, when she, cell phones were like a billion dollars. Like, you know, I, I remember when CD players first came out or DVD players, you know, they were $2,000 and like the, the CDs were like $70. And, it, <laughs> you know, eventually it kind of goes down in price. Um, what will be interesting to see if, if technology companies like this remain active after we're able to go back out again like who's gonna say you know what i can still tour and i want to still play every thursday night at eight o'clock to the world because there's some marketing plans i've seen recently of artists that i'm working that's going to be releasing music in in august and september a couple of months down the road that they are they're putting not only the live aspect equation into the picture they're keeping the idea of doing live streams because it's working for them. Maybe they're not going to go out every single night like they used to on the, on Facebook or on Instagram or TikTok, but they're certainly going to do enough of them so that they don't have to think about traveling halfway around the world and lose money or break even to see their fan base unless they really, really, really want to. Now they can just go and position themselves to reach a brand new audience in Italy or France or Germany or China or Japan or Australia, which is, you know, much less marketing dollars than it would to pack everybody up and travel halfway around the world. The pandemic has just been such a disruptive influence. And I, I want to be positive like you to think that it's going to make us stronger in so many ways where we'll have, hopefully we'll be able to go back to the traditional venue live music experience, but it'll also be supported by the pivots that have happened during the pandemic with the live streams. That's a good point. I I think that's just going to be what's going to happen. I I think for a while there'll be live shows and you won't be able to get in unless you have your vaccination card. And that's okay. And that's the way it should be because we are all truly in this together, you know, despite what, what some people don't want to still believe or not wear a mask. If I'm a, if I'm a venue, if I'm a store, I don't, I don't get it. Don't let them in, you know, um, it, the, the proof is there. So if we're going to go all, all in places where there's 300 people, we have to get to that point but we're not there yet. We're close, but close is still not, not even good enough. So I, I think this time next year, we'll kind of be looking at it like a little bit, you know, with a sly smile on our faces going, of course, live music will come back. Of course, theaters will come back. Of course, stores will come back. I'm not convinced that they're going to be back to normal. They're going to change, you know, again, nobody, Nobody's guaranteed to have five venues in your city with 10,000 capacity. There might only be two. There might be those small places that their capacity is 100, 150 people will now have to have 30, but we may see a huge rise in ticket prices or maybe a couple of more pool tables or maybe a restaurant, you know, a little bit of a diversification of of where money comes into that venue that will be interesting to watch too but i think live music is never going to go away it can't go away it can't 
we'll get through this. It's just a matter of like what it's going to look like from the other end of it. And the music is really, the music is keeping us together through this. Yeah. 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 Yes. It saved all of us. It saved us even, it saved us even before the pandemic. It will continue to do, you know, long after your friends are around and your family are around and people will disappoint you and your jobs are lost. (laughs) Music will always be there to understand what you're going through. I wonder too, if we're going through a creative in, I don't want to say enlightenment, but in a, a period of intense creativity with people trapped at home and isolated. Lisa Humber in her interview said that she had been working straight on come, come from away in Toronto for three years, six, eight shows a week, six days a week. And the pandemic has really allowed her to focus on her own creative expression. She's releasing an album. She's working on her podcast. She's doing her, she had to pivot and she's allowed now to explore her own creativity. So I wonder if we're going to see, I feel that we're seeing that a huge amount of people just exploring their own creativity, working on projects and, the amount of content that's being produced oh, it could take forever to get through it. Yeah. Oh, it, 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 you'll, you'll never do. I mean, before the pandemic, Spotify was uploading around 30,000 songs a day and about 70,000 on Friday for New Music Friday. Now they're uploading 55,000 songs a day and over 120,000 songs on Friday for New Music Friday. That is the artist competition. Your competition, if you're an indie artist, is not another indie artist or an indie band from your own city your competition are the beatles and the who and springsteen and rebecca black's friday and any other kind of meme that is going out right now because we're all after the same eyes and ears as everybody else that's out there so the the sheer amount of music that is out there to be consumed is never never seen before in our history this the question is 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 any of it good you know, did any of it stick? Because when you when you're in complete isolation, you know, in talking to the artists that are on the roster, some are having a hard time being um, being creative. Some aren't feeling any spark whatsoever. Some are like, well, if I'm not going to tour, I better start writing a song a month and getting it out there just to keep my name out there. Some are getting this this whiff of of inspiration to be able to sit down for a weekend and create a whole EP or a whole album. The idea of writing, recording, promoting, and then touring for four months or five months of the year, taking a small break, going back to writing and recording and touring and that cycle has changed people's whole being and their whole wherewithal to do it. Some have completely disregarded the writing part of it. Some have said, you know what? I'm going to take that five months that I would normally be touring and I'm going to produce a whole new EP. But the sheer amount of music that's out there is, I mean, you'll you'll never get through it in your lifetime, even with the music that has come out since the pandemic started. Yeah, the pandemic. Oh, what do you think? What do you think we have to look forward to? Sunshine. <laughs> Air. Trees, grass. I listen to The Current in Minneapolis, uh, KEXP in Seattle, WFUV in the States, um, Space 101.1. They'll play The Cure, then Aretha Franklin, 
then the new Jose Gonzalez song, then Peaches, then Talk Talk. <laughs> and, and it's just all good music. And that's really what I want. I still believe in somebody else dictating to me that this is their job, that they need to weed out stuff, which is why I love Spotify. And they're, you know, they've got people to act as a curator. And I never, I, I've never thought, oh, there's so much music out there that doesn't get heard. It's like, I don't think about the music that I'm, I'm never sad that I, uh, I'll never hear. I'm more, more concerned with the fiddle, the psychological changes of listening to a new song and loving it, not having those memories of songs that used that I used to love, that I was surrounded by moments and memories that when I listen to those older songs again, I reflect on those times. Now, when I'm listening to music, my memory of hearing those songs are solely based on sitting in front of the computer and working. That's why nothing really sticks because we're not listening to music with friends, getting stoned, getting drunk, falling in love, breaking up, going to school, going to work, vacationing. We don't have that anymore. All those things, you know. There's not that sentimental. There's uh, none human. of that. Hey, remember yeah. when you were listening to the song four months ago, sitting in front of the computer? Yeah, because I do it now, you know. So that's that's why I think nothing is really one of the big reasons why nothing sticks is because everything is all blending together. What day is it today? Who knows? What month yeah. is it? Who cares? <laughs> I know it's 2021, I think. But every day is like the day before to me. And I'm okay with that. I'm really, really good with that. I'm not, I, I would never complain about that. I never, you know, I'm not bored. There's lots of things that I can do, but there's no difference in the way that I'm working right now in February, 2021 than what I did back in June, 2020. I'm still listening to music. I'm just not collecting those moments and those memories that I used to attach to some of the greatest music and some of the greatest songs I've ever heard in my life. So do you think you'll be seeing any live shows in 2021? Not even a chance. You couldn't even, you couldn't even get me out if you wanted to. Um, I, I have no desire to see anything this year. Um, not only, you know, I mean, my health is too important. My family's health is too important. I've, I've seen a number of people, unfortunately, get the virus and pass away. It is devastating and it is real. It's just not worth it. Look, I'm willing to die for, for music. I'm not willing to die for... When, Ice, when, when Vanilla Ice performed at some Donald Trump party in the U S I, I remember laughing at a bunch of tweets that were saying, you know, like you're going to risk everything to go see vanilla ice. And, and it was a snide remark against vanilla ice, but that's sometimes the way I feel about almost every single artist in, in the world. There's like, nobody is worth it. It's okay. I'll wait. You know, I have plenty of things to do that keeps me busy here. It's been interesting too talking to people from around the world, how different governments have taken different approaches and we talked with someone who said that their parents had been snowbirding down in Florida and you wouldn't have even really known there was a global pandemic yeah. about to hit the shores because it just wasn't reported. Yeah. Um, it, it's also interesting to see how the governments are are treating their arts. You know, Canada has long had a really supportive government system with factor giving grants um, to musicians with Canada Council, the Toronto Arts Council. I mean, you go around the world and, and people, 
cannot fathom just the amount of money that we spend on the arts. And that makes us the great country that we are. Arts are important to this country. Arts are important to human beings. And they have stepped up in a big way, keeping those grants going, keeping those venues as strong as they can around by limiting the amount of money that these these venues have to pay for taxes, giving a little bit of a leeway when it comes to paying those taxes, giving, you know, allowing musicians to not mark down their earnings as a musician for their for self-employment so that it doesn't affect them come tax time that they have to now pay out more. It, it's really astounding when I see in the U.S. the amount of battling that the two parties are doing in order to keep venues operating and to keep musicians going. They don't have what we have anywhere like we do here in Canada, no matter who's in power. It's not a political situation. It's just the way that we have chosen to treat something as important as, as the arts Well, I got to tell you, this has been insightful. Oh, happy to hear it, man. Thanks for listening to The Pandemic Show. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemishow.com. Be a part of our community by subscribing to and sharing The Pandemic Show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Pandemic Show is on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. Stories from the pandemic for the people of the pandemic. Do you have an interesting pandemic story and want to share? Email us at pandemishow at gmail.com. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to Giant Value for singing us in and letting us know everything is going to be all right. No one is alone at the pandemic show.